Hey Blockheads, this is Dungeon Master Chris with the Dungeon Master's Block. The episode you are about to hear is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Today's audiobook recommendation is The Dungeoneers by Jeffrey Russell. After five years as a city guard, Durham's horizontal trajectory adds a corkscrew when a misdelivered order assigns him to caravan duty for an eclectic group of dwarves who hire themselves out as professional dungeoneers. No ruler wants to leave a powerful magical weapon lying about in a dungeon where just any prophesied upstart can stumble across it and use it to overthrow the kingdom. That's where the dungeoneers come in. Go to audibletrial.com dmb today for your free audiobook and trial. Once again, help support us at the block by going to audibletrial.com dmb for a free audiobook. Thank you, and now, here's the show. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering all the egos of all the other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I am Dungeon Master Chris. And today we are joined by Jeff Stormer of the Party of One podcast. And we're going to be talking today on this episode about what do you do when players either don't show up for the night and you're left with a group of one or two players or what do you do if you simply only have one or two players or goodness forbid it only one player do you just not play role-playing games our answer is you still play role-playing games obviously (laughs) and we will talk about that more in the meet coming up and how you do that and how you still make it an amazing experience But before we do that, Chris, we have some five-star reviews to read. So, Chris, why don't you start us off with a five-star review? Our first one comes from Argon Jr., and they write, Informative and Funny. A great podcast from two knowledgeable DMs. It's a nice mix of stories, ideas, and a few good laughs thrown on top. So thank you very much, Argon Jr., for that uh, very nice review of our podcast. Our next one comes from Army Dave and is entitled, Don't Skip This Show. Army Dave writes, I frequent many podcasts, and most of them earn a few episodes that turn into background noise before I stop listening. Don't make that mistake with these guys. Chris and Mitch will make you want to DM even if you've never wanted to. Full of inspiration to spark your creativity, these episodes will bring out your inner kid and maybe your inner DM if you give it a shot. P.S. Aquatic Adventures, Underwater, All the Time. It's coming. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Army Dave. We really appreciate that. I thought the Marines and the Navy were the ones that were specifically aquatic. That's very weird, Army Dave. (laughs) (laughs) The next one comes from the Notorious DMZ, and they write, Legit. I started DMing about a year ago, or at least I thought until I heard this podcast. This podcast has really stepped up my game, son. These guys (laughs) speak the truth and opened my mind's eye, or perhaps my beholder's eye. The ideas they help add to my campaign are invaluable, whether it's coming up for ways to add new monsters or how to make my NPCs feel like a part of a living, breathing world. These guys get it. I feel like I need a shirt or something so I can represent these guys. 
DM's block for president. I can see it Ooh. now. President Dungeon Masters of the United States. Keep up the hard work, boys. Real talk. Yeah. Thank you very much, <laughs> the Notorious DMZ, for that review. We greatly appreciate it, and thank you for thinking we're legit. Yeah, and that we should be presidents, but we don't want to be presidents. At least I don't want to, so. All right, and with that, let's head over to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist the mouthful! No! The flat meat back on the menu, boys! So this week as a guest, as we enter into the meet, we want to introduce to you Mr. Jeff Stormer. He is the GM and creator of the Party of One podcast. And so if you're not familiar with that, he'll explain a little bit about what that podcast is all about here in this interview section that we have, all dedicated to just Jeff himself. So Jeff, we're glad to have you on the podcast today. Glad to be here. Would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself as we get started? Absolutely. My name is Jeff Stormer. I am the uh, host and creator of Party of One. I've been playing tabletop games for about 20 years now, maybe a little bit longer. My brothers and I found a copy of uh, Middle Earth Role Playing, <laughs> also called Role Master, uh, at a yard sale. Best place to find used RPGs. It's great. Yeah, it was how I learned what a role-playing game was. I am one of the few people to have actually learned through that terrible boilerplate section in the beginning of, like, <laughs> what is a role-playing game? Right, right. I've been playing ever since. I live in Philadelphia. I watch a lot of professional wrestling, and I love playing tabletop games. Nice. So for the listeners who haven't heard about your podcast, why don't you tell them a little bit about what is the Party of One podcast all about? Sure. Uh, Party of One is an actual play podcast. It's focused on single-player games. It's every week I sit down with a guest one-on-one. We play out a short game. It features a variety of games, both those designed for two players, like uh, Hannah Schaefer's 14 Days, Tim Kopang's Mars Colony, and games that are not designed for two players that I think would work with two players, like pretty much any other game that isn't terribly particularly balanced towards having like four or five people i'll probably feature it on the show at some point nice so jeff you said that you got into role-playing games by the middle earth role-playing game and so do you remember your first character and if so tell us a little bit about what that was like to play that character i do i do remember my first character because his name was jeff because i was eight (laughs) and that's what you do when you're eight years old he was a corsair which, if you don't remember the Corsairs mm-hmm. from Lord of the Rings, it's because they appear for about two sentences. <laughs> but I had not read the Lord of the Rings when I played Middle-Earth role-playing, so I thought the name sounded cool. And the guy in the book had a cool hat, so I remember being like, I'm going to be that guy, <laughs> and his name is going to be Jeff, and he's going to be best friends with all the Middle-Earth people, because they're cool, and I wanted to be cool. <laughs> and he has a cool hat, and he so has everybody's going to be He had the cool. same cool hat as the guy in the book. It was this really, yep. like, elaborate had the floral gladiator mohawk thing on it. That's excellent. <laughs> I remember it was very, I guess, disruptive is the word I would use for it, because I, w- I was a eight-year-old trying to understand how to play this game. That <laughs> If you've ever read Rollmaster or Middle-Earth, it's not designed for an eight-year-old. Mm. There's just nothing <laughs> about it that says, like, you're a kid, you're going to play this, it's going to be great. You're going to understand all of the words that we use and all of the rules that we use. The it's hundreds of pages of tables are just really <laughs> going to make sense to you that refer to other tables. So it was a lot of me being like, well, I'm going to be the hero of this, so obviously I want to rally everybody against Sauron. 
and my brother being like, well, you can't do that. We were all kind of trying to figure out what we could and couldn't do together. <laughs> so it was uh, it was an interesting experience. Nice. That was your first character, and that was your first role-playing game experience. Do you remember your first time that you decided to get up from the player seat and sit behind the seat of whether it's the DM or the GM? Do you remember your first time doing that? Maybe not my first time. I remember one of the first times. It was because maybe a year or so after we got, we found this rule book that we didn't quite know what to do with. There was uh, the cartoon Dexter's Laboratory had an yes. episode about Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and I remember watching that episode and being like, "Oh, that's the thing!" And like, it all kind of clicked. And so I was like, "I'm gonna run a game. I'm gonna do what that what he did on the cartoon." And I wrote a terribly derivative adventure of the like little snippets of the adventure that you see in that cartoon. Like I wrote that little adventure, and I was like, "We're all gonna play this right now. Everybody, come sit down at the table." And there was a bunch of really like terrible traps. The kind of traps that a ten year old thinks are really clever. Like there are two doors. And one of them looks really obvious, and one of them like <laughs> looks like a back door, and you have to decide which one's right. And if you go through the obvious door, it's a pit and you die. Nice. <laughs> of course, the obvious one is always the most dangerous. That's what we like to do as GMs. <laughs> That's awesome. Now I need to go back and find that episode of Dexter's Laboratory, because I watched that show religiously when I was young. I'm certain that I saw that episode but I, at the time, probably had no idea what Dungeons & Dragons was, so <laughs> I need to go back and watch that. It's a surprise. I've gone back and watched it, and it's a surprisingly like clever yeah. episode that is clearly written by people that knew what they were talking mm-hmm. about, both <laughs> better and worse in terms of like the the games that they're like parodying. Fantastic. So we have one more question. It's a surprise question. You had no way of knowing what this was before, but it comes from Galakon, and he is a silver dragon on our forums and our Patreon, and he asks, "You are suddenly changed into an elemental. Which one do you become?" Oh, that's a good question. I think a water elemental, because I think that there is a certain... Uh, well, I'm going to level with you. It's because I like Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four, and he's kind of the water <laughs> elemental of the group. Nice. <laughs> My temples have started to go gray, like, in the last year or so, and so I'm really excited about that, so that's nice. probably my choice that's that sweet. I would make. <laughs> You're already set for, like, your cosplay. Yeah. People are going to be like, oh, that's cool. You did that with your hair. Nope, that's that's exactly how it is. No, I just I just showed up to <laughs> Comic-Con, right. and that's what I look like. Yeah, I'm not in a costume. This is just me. I don't know what you're going yeah, this is, uh, this I just wear this Mr. Fantastic Four outfit every day. <laughs> awesome uh, thank you for answering our questions both surprise and not surprise jeff oh, we my appreciate pleasure it. so on the meet today we are going to be talking about having small groups to dm for which is very appropriate having jeff here with us because that is what he does on his podcast and like he said like if you haven't heard his podcast go check it out it's a really really interesting take on an actual play where he just sits down with one other player and plays a role-playing game. And so today we're going to talk about what do you do when you have a small group and how do you DM for a small group of players, whether that's one or two players. So let's talk about that. First of all, let's let's talk about the reality of having a small group because I know that we've even had emails from people that have said, hey, I, I want to DM, I've been listening to your podcast, but I can only find one player to do it with me, or I can only find two people to do it with me. What do I do? 
So obviously there can be a lack of players in your group because maybe your friends have one of these three, either a lack of interest that it the reality is they just don't really care to play a role-playing game, which I would say if they've never done it before and that's where their lack of interest is, you have to keep eating away at them and eating away at them until they finally try it because some people will find that they love it so much. It happens. We both had to do it with people. Yep, Yep. exactly. I remember telling one of our friends, Mark from Washington, dude, it's just like Skyrim because he he wouldn't sit down. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, right. He loved Skyrim and played it for so long. And then he sat down. And role-playing games are not just like Skyrim, (laughs) however. It (laughs) got him into the game, and he loved it afterwards. But it could also be a lack of commitment. We've talked on really early episodes about problem players who have a problem committing to a game. And when you're trying to get a game together with a couple players you you want people to be committed to it so that you know that they're going to show up uh, each week that you play or each other week you play whatever it is but it could also be that they have a lack of time so it might not be a commitment issue but it might just be that some of your friends they would like to play they would be able to commit but they they can't commit because they just don't have the time to do so yeah and it could also be sometimes you you have the players that are committed that are interested and you think have the time and then at the very last minute something comes up i mean you know we've all tried to plan that game where all the pieces are in place (laughs) and then that morning you get a series of texts of like oh Mm. i can't i've got a garden party i have to go to sorry yeah and you're like oh all right well and then you end up with two you know three people that still have the open afternoon what are you going to do with that sometimes that's just enough do you just cancel like i like i've gotten i think we've all as dms probably experienced that that morning text like you said i've had texts that are 30 minutes before game time oh by the way i can't come tonight i wish i had told you earlier i wish you had told me earlier too dude (laughs) this is kind of throwing a wrench in my gears yeah it would have been nice to know when you found out (laughs) but i appreciate the last minute text yeah and sometimes i mean the reality is those are those are unavoidable. Sometimes, it's not yeah, always exactly. the yeah, like, sure. it's not always the, well, I knew for mm-hmm. three weeks, but just decided to tell you now. I mean, there's, there's legitimate reasons why people can't happen, be yeah. there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think the reason we're talking about this is probably for opportunities like that, where mm-hmm. people can't show up all of a sudden. Well, do you keep going? Do you all of a sudden have to change your encounter levels on the fly? Or do you do something completely different yeah. on those days? So the the other reality is, too, when, when you have a small group of people, it could be because you only have a few players in the first place. You might live in a small town where you only know a few people, or you might live in a big town where you have your couple of friends that you know when you moved there. And the reality is, is it's hard for you to branch out. It's hard for you, you know, for people to say, Hey, I'm interested in this same type of hobby because the reality is not everybody's interested in this hobby like we are. And so you could only have a few players that are really, really interested in this in the first place. And so what do you do? Do you just say, I, well, only got a few people. It's not worth doing it. Or do we think about it in a different way and say, Hey, the reality is we could probably tailor this for just a couple of people to play with us because we can have just as much fun as having a group of four or five or six players at the table. That's actually uh, one of the things that led to me getting really into two player games is my wife and I both love games and it wasn't so much that we didn't know people in the area is just that, you know, we started to think about games in terms of like, Hey, it's Tuesday evening. We're not really doing (laughs) anything. You want to like, why, like, why don't we see if there's a game we can play? And that was kind of what, 
drove what drove us both to like look into these types of games that can be played with just two people. You were role playing with your wife. Something you want to yes. share on podcasts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, no, but we've had people write in about this very same quote unquote problem uh, of move to a new town. I want to DM, but I I only know one other person, whatever it is. And I think a lot of times people who are who say that like are at telling us, I wish I could DM, but I only have one person to mm-hmm. to game mm-hmm. with. And thankfully, Jeff is here to tell you, we're here to tell you, don't let that stop your love of gaming. Jump into the game with that one player and 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 game. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about what do you do when some players either don't show or you have only a game with one player. I think the first thing that we want to start out with saying, and this is the first point because it is very, very important, is your reaction is really important whether it is that you only have one player in general or whether you only have one or two or three players because people don't show up your reaction is really important frustration is normal especially when you get those morning texts or those evening texts even if it is an emergency it's it's okay to be frustrated as the dm when you've planned something to be like oh like this is frustrating. (laughs) This is frustrating because I have to figure something out. But the important thing is you don't want the night to be ruined for the other players. So you want to keep your frustration in check. If you're still playing the game and you bring people to the table and someone or a couple people are missing and you're just grumpy and having a bad attitude about it, guess what? They're going to be grumpy. They're going to have a bad attitude. They're not going to have a good time because your frustration is being poured over into that game that you are playing. And when you're frustrated as a DM, that's just grounds for players dying. So that's never good for anybody either. <laughs> yeah, it's important to remember, even if it's not what you planned, it's important to remember that, you know, one of the words in role-playing game is game. And so, like, it's it's a fun thing that even if you're frustrated, like, you can still play a game and have fun. I think when we talk about players either not being able to show or something coming up, I think, you know, frustration is normal, but at the same time, be excited for your players who who did come because they have that commitment and and once again it it's not because the other people didn't have commitment it could be a real situation that came up but be excited for your players and for the story you are about to tell with them because they're there they're excited they they paid the you know the quote unquote ticket fee to get in and see what's going to happen with this group they're excited to see what's happening because Every time we go into a night, it's always a mystery. We never know what's going on. People are intrigued by that. People are excited to see what's going to happen with the group. They're excited to see what's going to happen specifically to their own character because they have a lot of time invested in that. And the way that you come to the table, even if somebody's missing, can really set the mood for what players are going to expect and how players are going to react as well. If you're not excited, it's... unless you have a really go-getter type personality within your group who's always happy, it kind of feeds into the group mentality mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit, and it can it can really drag the group down if you're not really excited about what's going on because you have to change something on the fly or something's not going to work out the exact way that you thought it was going to as a DM. The reality is, talking about frustration, you might come into a game and you might come in with the right attitude. You may have dealt with that frustration, but you might have players who are even more frustrated than you are. And as the DM, you want to still say to them, hey, guys, like, let's not be frustrated. I've got something planned. 
Let's jump into it. Let's have fun. Even if you don't have something planned, like, hey, guys, we're going to have a fun game that we're going to improvise. It's going to be great. Let's move past the frustration and let's still have a great time. And as the DM, you can I think you will hold a lot of weight if you have a good attitude about it. Yeah, I think one thing that I I tend to do with these nights when players don't show for whatever reasons is I tend to change them into more of like a side questing night because it's something that, you know, we we tend to, I mean, at least I do have a path written out for them. They can get to it any number of ways within that. But at the same time, if somebody doesn't show and it's like a really important thing that's going to happen for the group, like they're going to do something really important, I tend to say, all right, here's this other area. And I kind of say to the players, we're going to hold off on going that way because that's the main story way that we're going and say, okay, here's the thing that we're going to do. It could still be important to the story. I know I've had Mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that before where it's like, there's, there's things that could help you or aid you in this story. There's other NPCs that you could meet by going on this side quest that could potentially help you or give you information about what's going on. Or it could, you know, be completely made up and have nothing to do with the story. And mm-hmm. either way is fine because, like you said, Jeff, one of the words in role-playing game is game. And it's important <laughs> to remember to have fun when we're going through these these adventures, no matter whether it's a side quest or the actual event that you're going after as a group. I've always felt like there's a real opportunity in that kind of a side quest in that, like, you have every everybody, every character has their own backstory and their mm-hmm. own. They've written things that they kind of want to, that they'll pro- they might want to explore. So I think there's a real opportunity there to, like, dig in and say, let's let's see what happens when we bring in this element of your of your character's backstory because i mean that's what that's why they wrote it down because they want it to come up and play in some capacity so i think there's a really great opportunity if you only have one player or you only have two players to say like hey let's take a moment let's see what happens when we bring this in and then you know that that that'll have some really good role play potential there and not only will it have great role playing potential but I feel like there's no better way to turn a player's frustration of like where's the rest of our group around by going hey you know that thing that was really important to you with your background? You know that guy who you want revenge on him because he did something terrible to your family or whatever? There has been news about him in a town that's not far from here. And like immediately you've got your players back. They're excited. They're ready to go on a side quest and to explore something that's really important to them. And you're, it, it may be a good opportunity to grab onto something that isn't really working in the rest of your storyline to be like, Hey, this is the perfect time to do it. You might even want to prepare for players not showing up and write on a little card or something like if this person doesn't show up and this person's here, then we're going to go after this part of their backstory or something. Just know their backstories, know your characters because it's going to allow you to do side quests like this. And I think, too, another thing that you can do on these side quests is there might be areas of the world that you're in or the country that you're in that you've like, oh, man, I really wish the players would go there because there's so many cool things that, you know, we've we've created in this area of the world that you could use that as an opportunity to introduce them to something new in your world. I think that's a great opportunity that you're not always going to get when you go through any one campaign because you don't have the opportunity to because the players don't choose to go that that direction and i I think there's an interesting opportunity for drama there like both like i think it's a great way to have fun in in this game but i think moving on to the next game there's an interesting opportunity for drama there because suddenly the players that were there know something about the world that that at least right away the other players don't 
And I think that that creates an that would create an interesting dynamic for later on in play. And it's rewarding too, right? Like your yeah. your players are like, I showed up for this night, and I know something because I was there, and I get to walk away with this important information about the world that the players who didn't show up, whatever the reasons are, and it's not it shouldn't be like a like hold it over their head kind of thing, but it is rewarding to be like I, I learned something really important tonight. And I'm glad I showed up to this game, even though we only had two people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it might not be that game-changing thing that is going to forever alter your storyline because these people knew it. But at the same time, they were able to experience, like you said, something completely Mm -hmm. different that, you know, they could tell the story to the people that weren't there. But it's not as cool as actually playing your character through going through that new area of the world that they got to experience. Exactly. Yep, yep. I think another thing that you could do if you only have a couple players show up or even one is that you can embrace the weird, the crazy, and the goofy that is role-playing games and say, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to continue on with the story, but this game is going to be a non-canonical adventure. It's going to be like that weirdo holiday episode special in that TV show that after that episode, everything goes back to normal and it's all forgotten about. But tonight we're going to play a really, really strange adventure with your characters that is just a special game for tonight. Holiday specials are my jam. Yeah, man. (laughs) We had somebody write into the show recently and they actually asked the exact same thing. They were like, so a couple of players dropped out. And I think one of their concerns was they were saying, like, what do I do with the characters that the players aren't going to be there for? And that's I mean, that's something to bring up, too. Right. Like, what do we do with the characters? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. do we just pretend that they're there? Does the, does the DM talk about them? Do they go on a side quest? And I, I know for this guy, he wrote, should I do something non-canonical, a side quest? Like, what do I do? And I was like, well, why don't you? do all of those why don't you have a non-canonical side quest where the players characters that aren't there get abducted by aliens whether it's mind flayers or something and just embrace the weird and goofiness of it and have a weird funny night where your players who are immersed in this fantasy world have to go and save their friends from an alien abduction and how do they even react when an alien abduction happens like just have fun with it it's awesome i like that a lot yeah you know, we could, you could do like a Marvel comic style yes. what if. Just change something, see what happens, and sort of just experiment with suddenly you guys are in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> Go. And just see what happens with the characters. I think that's a great it's a great way to just mix things up if you only have one or two. And then you have an explanation for where the other people are. They probably did. <laughs> great. Exactly. Well, what if like the point that you left off the story the time before was like they they defeated a big bad and they were able to walk away and be like, oh, we've made the world a better place. What if they didn't defeat mm-hmm. the big bad and the people who aren't there that night, they got killed by it and the world becomes a more terrible place. And now you've got to play in a, like you said, a, a, I'm glad that you embrace that Marvel thing. Yeah, Marvel what if adventure. That'd be great. Well, and I love to, I mean, you could you could do that sort of what if thing. And then at the end of it, have it all be a dream sequence mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> you were all dreaming and that didn't really You're happen. In the tavern that you were in, like when you went to sleep the night before. Yep. <laughs> you woke up really cold. You woke up in a cold sweat because you were so frightened of what just happened <laughs> type thing at the end of, of the adventure. But in the dream sequence, too, I think weird things happen mm-hmm. in dreams that, 
you know, all of a sudden you're looking around and like a weird deformed frog with his head on his back all of a sudden <laughs> comes hopping into the frame and you're just like, this this is happening in the forest right outside of the town that we're in? This isn't normal. What in the world is going on? But the whole time, they don't know that it's a dream sequence until the very end of the night. And it's like, even if they're just in the middle of a uh, middle of a section and that you have to wrap up because everybody's got to go home and you just say, and then it all fades to black and you shoot mm-hmm. up straight mm-hmm. in your bed in a cold sweat wondering what in the world just happened. I think the dream sequence is such a fun thing to play around with because anything is possible within the dream world. Yeah, it really it's a, it's an elastic reality and I think that's a great thing to play with once in a while. Yeah, anything can happen in a dream. And I like the fact that I think the dream sequence is really good one if you only have one player because then you don't have to cross the bridge of well, how did these two guys have the same dream together? But at the same time, if you do have two or three players and they're having the same dream sequence, like they wake up and they have the same dream together and you don't even need an explanation of it. It could just be like this weird, like, wait, did you have a dream where I had that dream too? That's really weird. <laughs> like, that's kind of strange. And, the, yep. and then you like end the night with, and your characters look at each other for a long time, silently with raised eyebrows and then you end <laughs> like there's just this confusion aspect of hmm that was strange well and i wonder too even if in that the next coming nights if something significant happened in there or something like embarrassing happened in there the players will refer back to it right. like that were actually there that night mm-hmm. and it almost becomes mm-hmm. a sort of like inside joke that only they know but it's not an inside joke that is like terrible for the rest of the group who wasn't there who's just like well yeah. we're completely left in the dark on this this type of thing because more than likely they would have explained it to them what happened last week when you guys were playing or last Mm -hmm. session when you played but it's going to be that one fun thing that they always get to refer back to because it happened in a dream sequence that the other players weren't there for for whatever reason and i think too when you do decide to do something if there aren't enough people there i think this is a great opportunity to do something completely different i know for for us, we we mainly, for Mitch and I, we mainly run D&D stuff, but we've done this every once in a while where it's a chance to play a module within D&D that we've never been able to do before. Mitch, I know you've done Tomb of Horrors with yep. the group, and I've run, you know, one that I created where these people get to be little kobolds running through a frozen tundra land for whatever reason. You know, it's like you get these opportunities to play modules that you never got to do before in your life that you've always been intrigued by but never had the opportunity because it didn't fit into the the campaign night that you were planning on doing. Well, that's going to be nice for you, Jeff, because I know you said your wife is really into role-playing games as well. And I know for me, like I have a lot of like those classic modules that are talked about that are never played about, uh, never, I've Mm -hmm. never played for sure. Or uh, just different RPG games that I'm like, Oh, I'd love to play that someday. But when you're trying to, when you're doing every other week, and you're playing with your friend group and you're trying to build a story, we don't get a lot of chances to do one shots of different modules or different role playing games. And it's got to be nice to have somebody who you live with. That's it's just like you, one of you is like, oh, I really want to try this out. Well, why don't we sit down and try it out right now? Let's do that. It really it is really nice. And it's nice that I have a ton of little indie games that I packed mm-hmm. to Kickstarter for. And like I have a little PDF, and I, I, you know, there's so many of them that I I own and have never played that it's nice to, if I'm like reading something and we're just hanging out in the apartment, be like, hey, 
hey jan do you want to play this and she's like yeah i'll give it a try and then we play it and then i don't feel like i i feel like i got to enjoy my couple dollars (laughs) and i think too one of the one of the reasons that we love doing this podcast is for our creation and inspiration episodes and so if you've ever wondered and i've i hadn't really thought about doing this until now until we came up with this outline to get there for the show of using one of the DMB top 10 ideas that we've had, because there's some of them that I've come up with or Mitch has come up with that. I'm like, man, these would be a lot of fun to run, but they don't necessarily fit into our regular campaign nights. And I think we have like 50 some ideas out there now that we could just be like, all right, let's expand on that. See what happens with that top 10 idea that we came up with. I know I'm this way, and I feel like a lot of GMs are probably like this way, where they have their, have at least one or two ideas that they've written down somewhere, and they've looked at it and gone, oh, that'd be really fun, but I don't know how I can make six people fit into this idea. <laughs> right. So if you only have two people, then suddenly you're like, oh, wait, I could whip out, I could take that idea that I had in that binder, and then, you know, see how it works. Worst case scenario, we at least filled up a couple mm-hmm. hours in our game. I got night. to try that idea that I've been wanting to try for a long time. Yeah, I, this is why I love Evernote, but I have like a whole page just dedicated to, I come up with an idea. Does it fit in this campaign night? Could I use it? Nope. All right, it goes in there, and then I'll come back to that page every once in a while just to see if there's any way to incorporate those fun ideas that I've just come up with while I'm working or something. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what if you only have one player. You have, just like Jeff's podcast, a party of one to play a game with. I think that gaming may be a little bit different. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it will be bad. It could actually be really awesome. So first, let's let's talk about what do you do when you have one player in a group <laughs> that is your group and you want to play an adventure with them. Single player games are I I I love them. That's why I play one every week. Um but they are very different. There's actually a, a great game book, Scarlet Heroes by Kevin Crawford. It's a D&D hack specifically designed for one player, one GM. And there's actually, there's like an article in there just about like, how do single player games hmm. work? And I think that's a really, in, like a really interesting, it kind of, it really delves into detail and it was one, it was really informative and sort of helped shape what the show turned out to be. And one of the things he mentions is, like, a single-player game can turn on a dime, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because, like, you're, you're sort of just following what that one, that one person, that one character wants to do. So if you're playing with a bounty hunter, for instance, and suddenly they, they catch wind of a cool bounty, they might just drop whatever they're doing to go chase <laughs> yeah. that down. And there's a certain joy in that. There's a certain being light on your there's certain joy to being light on your feet like that and i think that's one of the reasons i really like them well you don't have to worry about convincing a whole party to go yeah, or exactly. somebody being like oh i really didn't want to go do this and then it's not fun for them for the next yeah exactly two weeks or whatever that you're or two sessions that you're going to be playing it does like you said it's a little bit liberating in that sense where it's just like all right what do you want to do <laughs> okay you're always going to have fun because it's pretty much something that you're driving the story in that specific direction Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i'll be honest uh jeff i have played games where i've dm'd for as little as two people but i have never dm'd a game for one person and so as as we're talking about this i'm i'm wondering as you dm or you gm for a party of one I know I've had players in the past who are, they're super, super into role-playing. They they mm-hmm. love to, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, be the center of attention. And I'm like, these people would be perfect for a one-player yeah. party group. 
Now, on the other hand, on the flip side of that, I've had players who they they don't really role play a lot. They kind of just sit back and they just kind of let the group uh, role play and they they give their little two cents every now and then. And it's some people it may be because it's their first time and they're like feeling shy, but some people that's just how they are and that's how they'll sure, always absolutely. be in far role playing and they still have fun. Have you ever had an experience where you've played with someone you've been like, oh, this is this is really difficult to play in a group of one with this person? It's a little bit more challenging. Uh, I've had ones where it's been a little bit more challenging. I think it, it in those cases, I think one of the again, one of the strengths of it is one of the strengths of single player claims, especially with those kind of players is. It takes a little bit more work on the front end, trying you, but because it's so versatile and because you can tailor it so specifically to the things that they want to see in mm-hmm. a game, like setting, character, whatever, you can sometimes find just the right thing to like completely bring them out of their shell. Yeah, like like it might take a little bit more work of being like, hey, what kind of a game do you want to play? Do you want to play like classic D and D, or do you want to move into a different genre? Do you want to have magic at all or do you want it to be mundane? And if and I found that like if you find the right game, character, setting, etc., even a player that normally just goes with the flow, you can kind of get them to explore exactly what they're looking for out of a role-playing game, and I think it sometimes gives a really special experience. Yeah, do you want to play rules light or do you want to play clunky system? Do you want to play yeah, exactly. a high role-playing game or do you want to do a lot of combat i i asked this question because i i have to imagine there are some dms out there right now that are thinking like oh man if that if that one player was the only one that was going to show up or maybe they have just one player interested in playing and they're like yeah but i don't think that they could really role play with just themselves and me and they'd be weirded out by that but uh beyond what you just just said which is great advice do you have any other points of advice for a dm or gm out there who might have one player that they they don't feel so confident about the game going well because of just how that that player is not that it's a bad thing with that player but it's just personalities are different whether it's an unprompted thing like we have cancellations or it's just he they're the only person interested i think that I'm a big proponent in general of like a set of like, I guess you'd call it a session zero. Yeah. Like just chatting with them about like what they want out of the game. But I find that that sort of direct conversation can sometimes uh, yield really good results. And I think that's probably the best advice I'd have is just sit down with them and say like, Hey, if it's just going to be us, like, what do you want? What are you looking for in a game? And you can be as specific or general as possible. I've, I've talked to people who have said, I don't like Tolkien fantasy. And I've said, okay, I can find something that doesn't fit into that. And I've had people say, uh, I want to do a modern game. I want it to, I want to, over the course of the game, go from a zero to a hero. I want there to be superpowers, no magic. And I'm like, I can work with that. That's beautiful. So I think, I think just being uh, open and direct is, is probably the best advice to getting a good experience and finding the exact thing that your player wants and then figuring out a way to accommodate that and if they want to go from being zero to hero you could just have them play hercules <laughs> when you said that i had the theme song from the hercules car- or car- yes, or cartoon show so running through well, my head go the distance that's that what right? it has <laughs> yeah oh so good Love those notes. <laughs> zero to hero <laughs> that's great so 
if you have one player and one PC, and especially like if you're talking about fantasy, I mean, sci-fi, whatever it is, I think you have a perfect setup for a game that is one epic hero. I know that sometimes when we DM for games, you can always spot the guy in the group who they want to be the epic hero. And sometimes that can become a problem because sometimes they try to outshine with all the other mm-hmm. players, <laughs> which which sometimes can be frustrating to the other players. However, I think this is like the perfect opportunity, right? To make for that yeah, player, definitely. even if they're not that player, to be like, you are the hero of this story and I'm going to help you as the DM. I'm going to help you shine and have that hero shine because there's nobody in that group to outshine. You don't have to worry about like, oh, like, am I, am I giving both of these players like equal opportunities to shine? You can just have it be focused on that one guy and just have them be the ultimate hero in that story. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite things about single player games is that there's no real chance for that for drama to come mm-hmm. from a player making somebody that's too special <laughs> and too cool and overshadowing people so you can just go crazy like any suggestion they want to make of like i want to play the i want to play the mo- the greatest swordsman in the world who has never been beaten in a fight and i'm like cool that's all right all right yeah we'll go with that and i think that's that's maybe one of my favorite parts about that style of play is that you can just whoever it you know you can go as special and particular as you want and because you're the star of the story then that's just what you go with and i think it's great yeah and you don't have to worry about party balance or anything like oh yeah, man right. how do i how do i take these monsters and make them work with a group that these different players characters are at different levels or this build is just so much crazier because mm-hmm, i know mm-hmm. 5e i think has done really good job making the game a lot more balanced but i know in 3.5 there were especially with the way feats that were and things like that that we had players who would spend hours leveling up because they wanted to make sure they got all the different combos and the crazy skills work together and everything and then we had players who would come to the table and be like oh i gotta take a few minutes to level up and Mm -hmm. if you constantly played like that you would have a group that it was like oh my gosh this this character is just way more ridiculous than this character. And, yeah. And it becomes hard for a DM to balance that out. But with a group of one, you don't need to worry about that. You, you, you tailor it to them and you make them the epic hero of the story. Well, I think in that too, if you have a, if you have one player uh, who wants to play a game, that's, you know, supposed to be played with four or five people, you could have that one player play a bunch of different characters so you could have that person who does have the crazy person who is super overpowered because they spent a lot of time doing all of the combinations. And then they could have the characters that are there who are there for meat shield purposes, mm-hmm. you know, type thing, uh, who they don't spend as much time on for whatever reason. But at the same time, that player is having a lot of fun because they're able to go through adventures like they would normally go through while playing a few different characters as well, which can be really fun because, you know, we've all had that opportunity or that experience where it's like, oh, you know, I'm playing this wizard, but I really can't wait for the next campaign because I want to play a mm-hmm, rogue mm-hmm. or something like that. And in this this experience, you get to play all of those because you need a specific amount of people to go through this adventure. So that can be really fun, but at the same time, it could potentially create 
difficult opportunities to role play, especially if you're having inter-party communication that needs to happen. <laughs> that could be really difficult. That I feel like is the difficult thing. Like I know even today as a DM, it's really easy to be an NPC that's talking to a PC, but as soon as you go into the NPC that has to talk to another NPC, and it, the more NPCs you add into that conversation that are needing to talk together... Like it's just feel it's difficult to like jump back and forth. And I can imagine a, a player who is controlling four characters, like trying to role play all four characters in a conversation. The easy way around that would to be, oh, our, my characters, they have a discussion about this and they decide that their plan of attack is to do this. And you don't have mm -hmm. to actually role play it. But have you ever GM'd for a game like that, Jeff, where you had one player controlling numerous characters uh i actually haven't but i have i kind of see it as a little bit similar to the wizards of the coast board games that yeah. they've been putting yep. out like the um castle ravenloft where where the the player has access to all of the different people adventuring because i think that's a good way i think that's a good way and you can do that with a, with a proper role-playing game is sort of just i guess you'd call it zoom out a little bit so that you're you're instead of being in the head of the one person that you're playing, you're kind of overseeing all four of the people involved. Another way that you can do a party of one style where you have a group of players or a group of PCs is that you could have one PC that's controlled by the player, the one player, and it's he's accompanied by a DMPC. You know, we had our discussion about DMPCs on our episode a couple back, and we brought up, you know, you want to be careful about when you use a DMPC, but I would say this is a good opportunity to use mm -hmm. a DMPC. Oh, yeah. You still want to make sure that I think the, the problem could be that your DMPC outshines the PC, and that should not happen. <laughs> like, I think this would be a great opportunity to have the DMPC be maybe a, a squire to a knight or an apprentice to a, the mm -hmm. wizard mm -hmm. character, whatever it is, and have their backstory and have their character really integral to it's important, like, that the PC is there. Like, without the PC, the DMPC is not as important at all. And actually, I, I have a, uh, this is a, this is a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. This is exclusive. This nice. is exclusive material. <laughs> I was chatting awesome. with another podcaster, and we were talking about Dungeon World because I my mad obsession at the moment is figuring out how to play Dungeon World with two. Because I don't know. I, mm. I'm. It's, yeah. There's there's a there's just enough tricky social mechanics that like it's 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 in my head, and I'm I'm kind of obsessed with it. So I kind of feel like. <laughs> The current working theory that I have and that we've that my uh, friend Brandon and I have talked about is it's almost like instead of having a PC and a DMPC, you have two DMPCs, mm -hmm. and I think that's an interesting way to approach it, and I think that's an interesting way to almost let the other player dip their toe into the, the world of DMing is let both of you kind of collaborate on, like, if we do this and it goes south, what do we think happens? Oh, I think this is going to happen cool that's a good suggestion let's go with that and i think that if you give a little bit of your dm responsibilities to the player in that case and you kind of share both the player and dm roles i think that would make for an interesting experience yeah i, I think it is important to note once i even though we we did in that episode about dmpcs that a dmpc the reason they're called that is because they will take experience like you should have a character sheet for a DMPC. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is what a DMPC is. I mean, the other option 
two is that you have one PC and you are the DM. You're in charge of a world full of NPCs that could potentially become allies. And whether it's for the entire adventure or for a short period, they can become allies that go along with this one PC in their adventure, whether it's fellow mercenaries or a squire or hirelings, your world is full of NPCs that they can for a time or for a long time, follow that PC around and become their friends. Yeah. I I like that strategy. I think that it's something you see a lot of in the old school DNZ supplements where it's just got like hireling prices. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good strategy, especially if you're playing one PC, I think it's a good way to just sort of, account for any mechanical balances but not taking the spotlight off of them is sort of having a certain degree of npc autonomy in the background of like yeah you've hired some mercenaries they've gone in this combat that you're this combat that you as a player are not as interested in because you're playing like a sneaky thief we'll take care of that off screen and now you can break into the tomb and poke around which is what you're actually you're interested in because you're playing the thief It allows you to take a certain amount of things off of the plate of the player so that you can really focus on the stuff that interests them, like we talked about earlier. Well, I think something interesting about NPCs, too, is, and we've talked about this before, but you never know which one they're going to latch on to either. So it's, you know, you have a whole world where it's like, some of these you have created, they might not latch onto them. It's always that one guy that you created on the fly that, you know, is just absolutely absurd that they're like, yeah, I want that Mm -hmm. hireling to follow me around instead of the one that's just... You know, one that we spent a lot of time creating and things like that, which can make for really interesting and fun mm-hmm. NPC interactions that will forever be a memory for you and your player. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Going along with all this talk about NPCs, as DMs, as GMs, as we run games, we come up with NPCs and we really want our players to take interest in them. And to be honest, sometimes they don't. Uh, and sometimes it's the characters that we didn't expect for them to latch onto, they latch onto, and they don't care about the ones that we want them to latch onto. But that being said, in a game where you have one player, NPCs are going to be super, super important. This mm-hmm. is yeah. this is like a time for you as DM to really think about who your NPCs are and get really in-depth with them because you won't run into a game that there is more of an interest in who the NPCs are and like more of an importance to it because the PC doesn't have someone to turn to to their right or to mm-hmm. their left yep. with another player and be like, oh, like, Let's let's get our PCs involved with each other. Now, hopefully in a game where there are more than one player, that is what you want to be trumping the NPCs is the what the PCs together are growing in relationship. But if there is no other PC, latch onto those NPCs and, and help them as they do pick the NPCs that they really enjoy and mm-hmm. and get really into it and really expand upon their NPC backstories and who they are and role playing through that. That's an area where I think that playing all of these single player games that I've played has actually really helped me grow as a, a DM is yeah. making really much more fleshed out and much more real NPCs because like you said, if there's only one player interacting with them, they're going to get a much deeper experience with every character that you create. They're going to experience things in a whole different way than if there are four people interacting with them and then interacting with each other. And so you all, every character that you create, you kind of have to have a different view of them. They can't just be a utility character because suddenly you're having this deep conversation with a player that you didn't expect to have. Every player you create kind of has to have a backstory just so that you're not caught like in the moment with nothing to say. 
Right, because they're going to keep coming back yeah. to that person because they don't have a group to bounce ideas off of. They don't have a group that they're wandering from town to town with. They may come up against NPCs who it's like, these are my friends. Like, these are the people that I go to the bar and talk to. You know, the bartender talking about ideas of, you know, how can I go about getting this task done? Or you have a very intimate relationship with the, you know, blacksmith because you guys have been friends for you know, 10 years at this point, he's done all of your work, making your swords or making your armor or whatever it is. And he's the person that you're like, all right, how would you best go about this scenario or something like that? Yeah. I, I love the idea of NPCs having to be deeper when you do a one a party of one, because they are the people that your characters are going to interact with all the time. Yeah. And I think that that's just a real area that I, I'm, I'm grateful to have done so many games like this because I feel like I've grown. I, I can bring that skill to games with a bigger party where even if they're interacting with them less, I can still more confidently answer whatever questions are thrown at me. Going into depth with NPCs, I think really the truth that is underlying here is that a party of one, a game with one PC is a really great opportunity to us as DMs to to world build and the show yes. Yes. one player this is the world and i don't maybe it's just me and maybe i'm wrong in thinking this but i feel like if i had a game where i was with one pc i would lean even more so to that what we originally were talking about with the one epic hero and i would want to create a quest that would be just epic and i'd want to end that campaign with that pc whoever it was with being a legend in my yeah. world and, oh, yeah. and completing some really crazy legendary feat, seeing things that maybe I wouldn't think to go, let's have this whole entire party experience this. Like, even though I do, I think I've, I've been leaning towards uh, a little bit more of the legendary quests mm -hmm, recently mm -hmm. with Chris, our, our trip to Ivana and to the heaven of my world and stuff like making you guys do epic things that are crazy and that, affect the world like crazy i would lean even more so personally i think to having that one pc doing crazy crazy things i mean because you can have a adventure with that pc in which they get up to level 20 and it's one character it's one human warrior who's fighting a fire giant all by yep. himself and bringing them down and like those are stories that like you're gonna go around from yeah. town to town with that pc and hear them telling stories about you around the fireplace or even when you come back and maybe if it's a group that you only have one player because at the time there's only one friend that's interested in it down the line maybe you get a group of more players and you're playing a great game with four players around a table in the same world this is a character that should be talked about mm -hmm. down through the history books like legends are being told about them to the point where you know, the, there could be people talking about this guy who single-handedly took down a fire giant, and and there could be a guy in the back that scoffs and says, "No, that isn't true. Like one man can't bring down a fire giant." And that player is sitting there, like, "But he did. He did." <laughs> I wonder too, in those moments, if they did something like that, and then their legend just automatically grows to then they're a joke. Like, hey. This group couldn't go and do that. Oh, well, let's just go call so-and-so. He could probably do it and almost like undermining the group that right. couldn't do it type thing too. You could create fun things like that. You know what I like to lean on uh, with single-player games is we talked about it earlier, but like taking stuff from that player's background, the cool thing is if you have one player, you can go as deep into like oh, yeah. if they want revenge on one person, you can make their entire story 
all the things, all the hurdles they have to go through to get their revenge on the one person that wronged yeah. them. And I think that you can tell really like the stories that you can tell in that capacity where it's like, you know, it's all about this person's background and how it's changed them and the things that they have to go through to find the peace in what they're looking for. I think those stories are also really interesting and they might not be legendary. They could be incredibly like small, but I think having the opportunity to say like, to say, okay, if that's, if you want to tell the story of, of somebody focused on revenge, let's tell an entire saga about how that's going to impact you and the world around you. Because I think, cause that's the story that you and I want to tell. I think that's a rare opportunity as a game master. Yeah, you could have a character creation night where you come to the table and maybe you as the DM say, oh, we're going to be playing in this country of my world during this time period, if that's something that you're like interested in doing. But then the whole entire story, like you said, could be like, tell me about your PC. Tell me about your character. What has he gone through? What is his goal in life? And you don't even come up with that the story setting because your PC is feeding you everything. And then you just have to figure out, okay, we want to get this character from A to B to mm-hmm, C. Mm-hmm. What happens along the way? What are the obstacles I put in his his way? Who are the NPCs that I'm going to introduce to him? But like they're coming up with a story for you with their backstories. That's a really compelling and interesting thought. I like that, Jeff. That's I those are the kind of games that I love to play. And that's one of the reasons I like single player games is you can tell such a different it's such a different the way i i again go into the comic book example going back to marvel comics i kind of look at it as if i'm buying a an avengers comic or if i'm buying a captain america comic yeah it's like if i'm buying the avengers comic i want to see them all team up and beat the crap out of galactus but if i'm buying a (laughs) captain america comic i want to see him struggle with the broken state of america and i think that's a much deeper i think that's the story that's really gonna like you know i think there's a different driving focus there that i think is really compelling stuff so wrapping this up jeff you are the expert here you're the one who's done so many games with one player is there any last pieces of advice or encouragement that you would have to a dm wanting to play a game with one player the best advice i have isn't really advice so much as it's an anecdote um a friend of mine who was a guest on the show my friend mycroft he was the guest of our second episode we were talking afterwards and he said to me you know i've been playing for years and when you when you pitched the podcast to me i thought it was really weird but now that i've played the game i kind of feel like two people (laughs) should just be the default and we could build from there (laughs) And I, I really I took something from that because I think the idea that if what we're doing playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever game you're playing, role-playing games, if what we're doing is just telling a story together, all you really need are two people. I think that the assumption that you need five people around a table, really, if you think about it, collaborative storytelling, all you need is two people to collaborate. So I think I would encourage anybody that's curious about it to just, like, give it a try and see if you like it. If you're curious about reading more about it, there is a great series of articles on RPGNet about, called um, RPG Duets. There's a great series of articles about playing with two that I think is really useful if you're curious about reading more. But more than anything, I think just give it a try, especially if you like role-playing already. I think it's a change in focus that you'll find really satisfying and really, uh, you, I think you'll be happy that you did. 
And Jeff, if people want to get in touch with you to share stories about their group of one play or group of two people playing together, one GM, one the player, or any other things related to small group gaming, where could they reach you at? So I absolutely want to hear any stories that people have of playing with two, any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. You could find me pretty much anywhere. Um, Twitter, I'm at Party of One Pod. I'm pretty active on there. Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Party of One Podcast. I just started a Tumblr last night, so you could um, find me there at partyofonepodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can send me an email at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. And um, just, yeah, like I said, any questions, comments, I'd love to hear them because I genuinely do love this style of role-playing. Yeah, so definitely go and listen to Jeff's podcast, Party of One. It is a very awesome take on role-playing. And if this whole discussion about a party of one strikes true to you because either you want to give it a try or this is the opportunity you have sitting in front of you. Listen to this podcast because it's a great example of how to do it and how to have fun doing it. And it's just awesome. Uh, and definitely reach out to Jeff as well. Yeah. And you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, anywhere that your favorite podcasts are found. Thank you so much, Jeff. We appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your wisdom about playing games with small groups and parties of one no thank you for having me that was a blast they have been asking for their mail on a daily basis it's all they're talking about up there that right there is the mail now let's talk about the mail can we talk about the mail please mac i'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day okay welcome back to the mailbag of holding the place where we talk about stories ideas and questions from you the listeners and mitch today we have an email that you're going to read from us and who is this email from well, this one is an action, an email. It's from Facebook. It's been put onto our Facebook group, but this is from Eric Sparks. And so there's two parts to this question. And so the first part is he wants us to talk about dice rolls. And so he asks us, how do you use dice rolls effectively? When do you not use them? And that's that's his first question, part of this question. So I think what he's getting at here is I have definitely had... DMs in the past, and I'll I'll be honest. Here's DM confession time. When I first started DMing, and Chris, maybe you can speak to this a little bit too. When you first start DMing or GMing any type of system, you might not fully grasp when it is that you're supposed to use dice rolls. Like I I can remember myself and other DMs that I've played with being like, "All right, you sit at the table, and what do you do? Oh, I wanna I wanna order a drink." And like I've I've seen and I've done stupid things in the past <laughs> where DMs are like, all right, well, roll to drink that drink or, oh, yeah. you know, and like what happens if you like fail? Like, do you choke on the drink? Like, I think there are points where it's like the mundane things, especially you don't need to roll a dice roll for the every every single dice roll should be for something important, like even mundane actions such as all right well i want to barricade the room because there are enemies coming well roll to barricade the room no if i have time you should be able to certainly barricade the room that's not something there's no barricade action you shouldn't have to roll for that yeah i mean like if you're under stress and they're like right behind you chasing you that's a completely different story yeah. but like if you know that they're coming for like 10 minutes it's probably not something that you should have them roll for necessarily i think something that i've really thought about and started to do more is in the moments where and i and i think I, correct me if i'm if i'm speaking out of out of line for you too but i think i've noticed you doing this too in moments where people role play and mm -hmm. it is like above and beyond and i'm thinking 
the the time that I'm thinking about is when Captain Garzak a couple weeks yeah. ago is really getting into it and is going nuts. Like I I felt like he was Captain Garzak, not Caleb sitting at the table. Yeah. Like in those moments, I'm like, well done. I'm not gonna even right? make you roll to persuade people. Like you are persuading me as the DM right like, mm-hmm. right now, being an actor here at the table. And in those moments, I'm like. Normally, I would have you roll to, you know, persuade or deceive or whatever, but you just did an absolutely marvelous job at it. Well done. Yes. Go for it. Like, yeah. just have that. Have that as a reward from me to you, and here's some inspiration to go along with that. Exactly. I was just going to say, yeah, there are moments where, like, your players break into such, like, they are their characters sitting there, and they are pounding their fists on the table, or they are, like, they're a bard who just starts breaking into song because they are role-playing so much, and as a DM, there is nothing you can do to ruin that situation more than say, all right, well, roll to perform that sync check. Or roll to perform that persuasion or that diplomacy or whatever it is. There's nothing you can do more to have them do that. And then I've seen it where people have done that. And I, I personally, like, because when I first started DMing, that was my understanding was you always had to do it because the rules told you that's how it was. So you, if they were going to roll, if they were going to try to make peace with somebody, you had to have them roll a diplomacy, which was in 3.5 starting off. And so I've seen players role play. And it was like, wow, that was so good. And I will take that into account when you roll. And then they roll a crit one. And it's yeah, like, right. how much does that suck for a player who just put themselves out there and just role played with his heart, like just bleeding out like for his character. And then they roll a crit one. And how do you, how do you as the dungeon master, I think that puts you also in a difficult place of, well, they actually did a really good job with role playing, but they rolled a crit one. So you're just like, uh, well, you farted through your entire speech, yeah, right, so that just ruined right. it. Like, you have to come up with something really ridiculous. I completely agree, Chris. There are moments where you just wave those dice rolls. Oh, yeah. Because, and and I personally, and I know you and me are coming from the exact same mentality and philosophy on this, is role-playing is the best part about the game. So if a character, if a, if a player is role-playing their character and you're just like, wow, that's awesome then reward them for that and don't have them roll a dice roll. Now, that doesn't mean that you should treat their role-playing as a nat 20 every time and they get everything that they want. Like, And maybe that's what you do is you say, why don't you roll and I will take into your role-playing account and if they do roll a crit one, don't just don't treat it like a crit one because they did such a good job. But like, take into account how well they did it. But yeah, it's there are times where just, just by, bypass it and let the game happen because that's... It's Chris and Chris, you and me, and I know we've gotten some flack from some listeners on this, but we see story as the most important. And that's something that I think for you and me and for our players has very much rewarded our gameplay. And we we come away with just having such a great time. And that's a time you need to move on and not not worry about the dice. Yeah. And I've almost I've I've thought about this a little bit, too, is I I wonder if in moments where there's great stress or coming out of great stress, like that would be almost a moment to make people roll. So for example, you're trying to climb up a tree and there's nobody around you. You're just trying to climb Mm -hmm. it for fun. I'm probably not going to have you try to roll to climb up a tree or whatever. Like, you know, there's 20 minutes until the bad guys get here or 15 minutes or whatever, enough time to scale a tree. Go for it. I'm totally going to have you do it. I'm not going to have you roll six times and then finally get it type thing. You know, in moments where it's like that's the type of thing that they want to do, 
great. If it's a stressful moment, like you can see them coming mm-hmm. and you're trying to climb up, I'm totally going to make you roll that because you're not focused on it. Like you have your proficiency modifier because you know you're good at that type of thing. But at the same time, this is not something I'm just going to let you have freely happen. So I wonder if it's it's something along the lines of kind of a good thing to go along the lines of is if it's a stressful moment, make them do it. Or if it's anything that's like you're standing in front of a crowd, even though you're natural at it, like there's things that distract you from it. I'm going to have you roll for that type of thing. I wonder if stress is a good indicator of yeah. when you should roll the dice. Yeah. Cause I know that, and maybe, and maybe you've done the exact same thing, Chris, but I know I've had moments where because it's a skill that a character has, let's use the climb example again for climbing up a tree. Uh, oh, you want to do that? Go ahead. Climb up a tree, uh, roll your climb check and they fail. But you're in a situation where there's nothing pressing. There's no time limit. There's yeah. no enemies coming down. And so what do the players say immediately afterwards? Roll again. All right. I, I, I try to climb the tree again. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, roll again. They fail again. And you get to this point, and I've gotten to this point as a DM, and I'm just like, why am I making you roll? <laughs> like, you're going to eventually make it up. So there's nothing pressing. Like you said, there's no stress in this situation, like, and making you roll over and over again. Like, Oh, like, what are you gaining from that? Oh, it took you six times to climb that tree. No, if they have time, just say, okay. And you climb the tree. Like that, that's a really good point. Like if there's, if, if you look at the situation and you're saying, are they going to be able to roll this again and again until they finally get it? Yes. Then just say you spend some time and like, if you want, have them roll one die and equate that to well it took you this long like but don't don't make them keep on rolling over and over and over again for it so so yeah that's that's his first part of the question i hope that we we answered it in a way that makes sense and gives you some idea of when to roll and when to not roll die i, I will add to that too that sometimes it is fun to roll die in a sense that it is the mundane like we've had times when a character was confused or had a little too much ale to drink. And then we make them roll for stupid things, not because we're trying to be mean, but because in those situations, it has always been really funny. And so we've said, okay, roll your climb check and minus 10 to your roll. And because you've had too much ale to drink, we just have situations where they're falling out of the tree and whatever like that. And, if it's adding to the fun, then go for it. But oh, it's I would, not- I would totally say that's not, that's not even a mundane thing. Like that's taking somebody out of their completely natural right? <laughs> state of body. So yeah, in those moments, yeah, you're gonna have to roll because you are not in full control of your body. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> but anyway, so his his second part of the question has to do. He's kind of coming off of this when you roll kind of thing and everything. But he asks, how do you use your wisdom so that your rogue isn't always confounded by his or her clumsy and noisy traveling companions? So I think he started off this question. He wanted to know about the roles, but he also wants to know that classic. You have a rogue in your group that wants to sneak around. But if he brings up, Hey, let's sneak up on these bad guys. You got the paladin and the fighter who are in heavy armor ka-ching, and they're, ka-ching, oh, ka-ching, yeah. ka-ching, you yeah. have them roll the sneak and they're always going to suck and fail at it. So what do you do? Because it, it sucks to be in a ro- a rogue in a party where you're never able to do roguish things. And I've seen it happen way too often. How do you use your wisdom as the DM to make sure the rogue can, do roguelike things Uh, for me i think that i've seen this happen a lot and i think that really the issue a lot of the times and this is just from personal experience a lot of times it comes from a group that is unwilling to let the rogue do roguish things because the paladin or the fighter have decided that they 
are, and maybe it's not the character, but maybe it's the player, that they are the classic play style of kicking the door and throw their great axe at the nearest enemy and start pummeling him in the face with their fist. Like, they do not like sneaking around. I've seen paladins take the sense of, well, I'm a paladin, so I must fight honorably and I can never sneak up on people and I will not let you do the same exact thing. And it really can be a damper to the person who picked the role because that's what their character is built to do, to sneak around and attack people and to be covert in their actions. And so I think really where you need to start is you need to have an understanding with the group that, hey, this person picked this character and we need to allow him to play his way and we need to allow you to play your way. And whether it's the players need to understand that or the characters need to understand that, you need to have a group that sees everybody as an asset and wants to use their abilities to their full potential. Me and Paladin Caleb talked about this in the Paladin episode, but there are situations where a Paladin can totally be okay with a rogue sneaking, and especially like you said, Chris, like the sneaking ahead, being a scout, being a lookout, and sneaking ahead and trying to find out what the dangers are. Like, why shouldn't a Paladin be okay with that? That should be totally fine. Yeah, because you're not doing any any harm to the people by scouting out. You might... yeah with the advantage you've gained, be able to do some real damage to them. But <laughs> you're not doing any sort of damage that a paladin would be not okay with with you doing it into somebody's back. Yeah, because honestly, the whole idea of, okay, the rogue wants to sneak, so all of us are going to sneak together is kind of silly. A, a paladin and a fighter who are in heavy plate are not going to sneak well. And I personally, I wouldn't want to just say, ah, just hand wave those rolls. The real thing that should happen is you should allow the rogue to sneak ahead. And if there are other characters in the group that are good at sneaking, like a ranger or something like that, then they can go with them and they can scout ahead with the party. But it's it's having an understanding, a good understanding between you as the DM and the players that this is a team game and we're going to try and help each player shine and each player do what their characters are able to do. So thank you so much, Eric Sparks, for writing to us on Facebook. We hope that this helped you out with when to roll your dice and have die rolls and also a way to hopefully have the rogues in your party be able to shine a little bit more with their abilities. So that's what we have for you this week on the Dungeon Masters Block. We have hope that you've enjoyed our conversation about small groups and parties of one and hope that if you were ever feeling discouraged or wondering, like, why can't I find a group of four people that are interested in playing? Well, you know, maybe that's not what you're supposed to do. Maybe this will help spark that fire in you to go and DM regardless of how many people you have within your group. Uh, so we thank Jeff Stormer for coming on and, and giving us some words of wisdom about that since that is what he does after all. So if you would like to get in touch with us and share with us stories about how you have Dungeon Mastered for a group of one or a small group of people, you can send us an email over at DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com. We'll read that and get back to you as soon as we can. And also, if you love this podcast as much as we do and as much as a bunch of other people do, consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us grow and helps people know that we're actually a legit podcast, as Notorious DMZ told us earlier in this episode. You can also find us on Stitcher and other podcasting apps that you like to use. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block, and you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have awesome stuff about our show and D&D in general. 
we have a Patreon member shout-out of this week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out is... Sean Pity. So thank you so much, Sean. Sean is a dreaded silver dragon, so fear him as he streaks across the sky with all his silvery goodness. Those silver dragons are multiplying. Yeah, they are They are growing like crazy. Something was in the water. <laughs> so that's all we have for you this week on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, whether it's Dungeon Mastering for a group of one or many. The most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God. Killing characters. And lowering the egos of all or one person at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.